Friends, hello and welcome to the worship of First Baptist Church. I'm glad that you're able to join with us in this simulcast. Yeah, I used that word. Jaden discovered that that's what we're doing here. Although you're seeing this Sunday at 11, we're here Friday evening recording it. And then it's being uploaded to YouTube and we're making it live Sundays at 11 for this purpose that all of us, hopefully as many of us as possible, will be able to join together as an indication of our solidarity and the fact that we're in this together. And that even though we are prevented at this time from gathering together for worship, we're still worshiping at the same time. We're still worshiping together. We're still connected to one another. In just a moment, I wanna talk with you about some of those connections and some feedback that we've had from you about better ways to keep us connected during this challenging time. But first, I want to say that I had a little bit of encouragement. I told you last week, I don't know, maybe I didn't. I was so nervous. This is crazy, nerve-wracking, speaking into an empty camera. I could never be a television reporter. Uh, but Henry, our esteemed moderator, did say that there might be a future for me in televangelism. Can you believe that? Me, speaking, preaching into the TV, asking for money. Actually, my mother always said that I had more of a face for radio. I'll let you think about that. But again, folks, we're glad that you're here, glad that you're joining together, glad that we are encouraging one another during these difficult times. It's been challenging, hasn't it? And we've learned so much in the last few weeks. Let's take just a moment to review. We've learned about social distancing, right? And we all know, don't stand, don't stand too close to me. And we want to keep our distance from other people. We've learned about shelter in place. We've learned about working from home. It's not just an elite status for a few. Nearly all of us are working from home. And we've learned about restricted routines and new and different routines. Now we knew that we couldn't come to church and we knew that we couldn't go out to a restaurant and we knew that we couldn't go to a movie theater to watch a show. And then the weather got great last weekend and what happened? We all went to the beach and we all went to the parks and now the governor said, stay away from the beaches, stay away from the parks. So we're doing our part during these difficult times. We're reining it in. Maybe at this time, two, three weeks into this thing, we're starting to experience a little bit of cabin fever, maybe a little bit too much quality time with the family. That can be challenging, right? But we're here to support one another. And that's one of the things that we've heard from you that's really important. One of the things that we miss is that coming together and sharing and talking and the thing where we pass the microphone on Sundays. So I've begun talking with a few of you and I've got some updates that I want to share. And then I want to offer us sort of a formal way to connect from this week until next. If you go to the church website, firstbaptistalameda.com, and if you click on the contact button, it will bring up this screen, the little guy praying with the sunset. And underneath that image, is a field that you can fill out with your name, contact information, and then your prayer request, and then when you hit send, 
that comes directly to my personal email account. So if there's something you'd like to share with the church family, maybe a story or an anecdote or a request for prayer or an update on how so-and-so or so-and-so is doing, I'd appreciate you taking a moment to do that, and I know that all of us would appreciate hearing what's going on within the congregation. With that said, I want to let you know that I was able to talk to Josephine, to Patrick, and to Marilyn. And each of these friends of ours has been uh, undergoing cancer treatment in the course of the past six months to a year. And you know you've been following their stories, you've been hearing from them, some of you have been talking to them as well. I, I was greatly encouraged in talking with each of the three of them that they are doing well, they're good. They're at home with their loved ones, they're cared for, and they're fighting the good fight. Let's continue the prayers for these folks. Also, I want to encourage you to pray for Wendy and for Sam. And the reason for that is that they are undergoing weekly dialysis treatment. And even a trip out to the dialysis center is a big ordeal in these difficult times. So let's pray for them. Let's pray for their health. I want to encourage you to pray for our senior members. You know them. Uh, there's too many of them for me to list. I'll forget someone. I'll call you a senior, and you don't think you're a senior, so I'm not even going to go there. But let's pray for our seniors. We've heard a lot in the news about those who are most vulnerable during these times. Let's pray for those folks. Some of them may have uh, uh, added health risks. Uh, some of them we just want to remember in prayer. So let's do that. And let's also take some time to pray for our families. Um, we've had a lot of together time, haven't we? We've had a lot of 24-7 together time. And that's challenging. That stretches us in brand new ways. And we're able under most circumstances to get away for a little bit of time but under these conditions, folks really haven't. So let's pray for young families, for school-aged families, for, for parents that have high schoolers, junior high, uh, grammar school kids, preschool kids, babies. You know the challenges that they're going through. One encouraging thing I heard is that grandparents are doing a lot during these times. Grandparents are babysitting, grandparents are running to the store. You know, grandparents have special hours, right, where they can, that's why there's no eggs when we get to the store. The grandparents have purchased them all, they're gone. But they're helping their families out. So let's hear it for grandmas and grandpas. Also during this time, let's pray for folks that we know that are experiencing challenges, difficulties health crises, people who are facing addiction, people who are struggling to make ends meet. Think about people who are living on the street during these times. Think about those folks who are most at risk. Think about the economic repercussions for families, folks who work in the service industry, and I know that some of you. I know that there are challenges that come from being unemployed or underemployed because there's just not enough hours to go around and employers are feeling terrible. I got the saddest email this week from Larry Rice. 
at, uh, at Redwood Glen. And I know Larry can send some sad emails, right? For years we had him talking to us about the water crisis, but the, the title of his email was No Campers at Redwood Glen. And the impact of that to their staff, where they're having to let people go because there's no camp registration, there's no people coming, there's no revenue, and so they're having to make difficult choices. Uh, maybe Redwood Glen is near and dear to your heart. Maybe that's something for you to think about, a gift that you can give to them during this time to help carry them through. Also, in terms of prayer, let's take some time. I talked last week about the impact that we're feeling. But what about this collective buzz of anxiety that we're experiencing, right? It's everywhere you go. It's in every conversation that you have. It's in everything that comes across your newsfeed. It's in every email that you open. It's on the, the nightly news all the time, constantly. It's like we can't get away from it. Lord, help us in these difficult times. And while we're thinking about the larger picture, I also want to encourage you in the smaller scale, just take care of yourself. Love yourself. Be patient with yourself. These are difficult times. And I think what we're beginning to experience is like cabin fever, right? We can't go anywhere. We can't do anything. We're getting irritable. And maybe we haven't quite hit our stride in terms of working from home or whatever it is that we're doing. These are difficult times. Be patient. Take care of yourself. And be good to those who are closest to you. But you know I'm not here to talk about coronavirus. You can get that on the news, you can get it anywhere. I've said my piece, I've framed things. What we really want is to have an encounter with the Lord. And that's why you're here. There's a book that I have that uh, doesn't get a lot of use. It sits on my shelf most of the time. It's called Common Prayer. And the subtitle is A Liturgy for Ordinary Radicals. It's a book of sort of collected prayers that people have prayed but for some reason I was drawn to it I don't know why it is I took it down occasionally I read through it and I came across this faith affirmation that I thought was so good for us during this time uh, we talked last week about trust we want to be people who are trusting God amid the uncertainty and the chaos of what's going on so so it's time for a faith check what what do we really believe? This is an affirmation. Listen as I read. Lord, you have always given bread for the coming day. And though I am poor today, I believe. Lord, you have always given strength for the coming day. And though I am weak, today I believe. You have always given peace for the coming day. And though of anxious heart, today I believe. Lord, you've always kept me safe in trials. And now, tried as I am, today I believe. Lord, you've always marked the road for the coming day. And though it may be hidden, today I believe. Lord, you've always lightened this darkness of mine. And though the night is here, today I believe. Lord, you've always spoken when time was ripe. 
And though you be silent, God, today I believe. Think about that, friends, and you might be a little bit like the disciple who said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. In these times of testing and trial, we find out what we really believe. It's time for a faith checkup. Are we trusting? We're hoping to trust. Would you join with me? Let's take a moment to pray. God, we love you and we look to you in the midst of this uncertainty that we experience. God, we are trusting you. Our faith is growing. We're being encouraged by the love of others and directly by the love of your Holy Spirit that's poured out into our lives. We thank you, God, for families. We thank you for the ways in which we're coming together. We thank you, God, for the ways in which we're being stretched and challenged. And we ask, God, that you give us new eyes to see, God, new ears to hear, new minds, creative minds to perceive what you're doing in our lives in these times. God, we thank you that we belong to a family of believers. We're connected to others. Father, we pray for those that were mentioned this morning. We ask that you be with them in power. God, that you give to them a sense of peace and a sense of calm. Pray for those who are experiencing challenges related to this global crisis. God, help us to see clearly how you are loving and leading us through these times. We pray in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Amen. If you have a Bible with you, and I hope that you do, I invite you to join with me in the Gospel of John, chapter 11. Our passage this week from the lectionary is here in John chapter 11. It's the time when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And if there's any time that we're in need of a resurrection, it's right now. And as we work our way toward Easter Sunday that we may or may not and probably won't be together for, we think about spring and newness of life and resurrection and the life that Jesus gives to us and the sign and the symbol of that life comes through this narrative as we meet this family that was a personal acquaintance of Jesus and see the way that they interacted with this amazing thing. Three times in scripture, Jesus raised someone from the dead. There was a little boy and there was a little girl and then there was a grown man, Lazarus. And in John chapter 11, we have the raising of Lazarus from the dead. The God, oh, you see what I did? I touched my face. Don't do that at home. I just itched my nose. You're not supposed to do that, right? John chapter 11 contains the final of seven signs that are recorded in the Gospel of John. And it's the climax of all of the signs. In John chapter 11, we meet this gentleman by the name of Lazarus, and we find Jesus and the disciples interacting with him in a way that hopefully is instructive to us in that it points to Jesus as the light of the world, 
but also points beyond the sign to the shadow cast by the raising of Lazarus from the dead. We'll get to the shadow in a moment, but first the sign. Now a certain man was ill, John 11, verse 1, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Before the days of email or text messaging or any type of instant messenger, this message traveled to Jesus the old-fashioned way, Lord, the one you love is ill. Well, we thought Jesus loved all of us, right? But we see here there's a special relationship, and John introduces us to this Mary who had anointed Jesus, this extravagant act of worship, and Martha, her sister, and we've heard about his interactions with Mary and Martha, and now we meet Lazarus, their brother. This was a close, personal, family friend of Jesus who was ill, and so an urgent request went to Jesus, come here to Bethany and do something about it. Yet we read in verse 4, but when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Interesting that Jesus first offers an unexpected framework for what's about to transpire with Lazarus, that this illness will not lead in death. Well, spoiler alert, right? We know that Lazarus dies. We know that Jesus raises him from the dead. But Jesus says this illness will not lead in death. No, it's for God's glory. And he says... It's for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. That gives us a framework for what's about to transpire. The raising of Lazarus from the dead is going to lead to God's glory. In fact, Jesus, the Son of God, is going to be glorified through the raising of Lazarus. Now put a bookmark in that. We'll come back to it. What we saw as well is that Jesus, who loved this family so much, was in no particular hurry to get there and save the day. It's almost as if, do you think, Jesus was waiting for Lazarus to die. That's exactly what was happening. That's why he waited. It was a matter of timing. Lazarus had to die obviously, for Jesus to raise him from the dead. So Jesus here is not being a healer. He's not, going to, he's not going to make Lazarus feel better. He's going to physically raise Lazarus from the dead, and he's going to do it in such a way that brings glory to God and glorifies Jesus the Son. So verse 7 tells us, after he had said this to the disciples, or excuse me, after this, 
Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you, and are you going there again? And then Jesus talked to them about darkness and light. Again, this idea that the raising of Lazarus is a sign that Jesus is, like he said earlier in John's Gospel, the light of the world. So Jesus, uh, much to the dismay of the disciples, goes right back into the hornet's nest. John had told us that Bethany was just a short distance. Actually, John's going to tell us, I'm sorry. In verse 17, we see that, actually in verse 18. See, we can't stop the camera from rolling. It just keeps on going. And when I make a mistake like that, I'm just going to stop, and you're going to be patient with me, just like you are on Sunday morning when we're all together, right? Amen. I heard you. Chapter, uh, verse 18 says, Now Bethany was near Jerusalem some two miles away. So Bethany is where Lazarus and his family lived, and Jerusalem, the center of Jewish political and religious power, was just two miles from there. Jesus, earlier in John's Gospel, had been in and around Jerusalem, and it had set off a firestorm of controversy and protest such that the Jewish leadership was trying to stone him. And so the disciples are just pointing this out to Jesus. Why would you go back there, Lazarus, or not? Couldn't we send a postcard? Couldn't we pray for Lazarus with some safe social distancing? That's the disciples' perspective. And Jesus is telling them that they have to go. And the reason for his going is like he said, the glory of God, that the Son would be glorified through him. The disciples, uh, not so excited to go. In fact, Verse 16, Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Not with Jesus, but with Lazarus. Because by this time, Jesus had said to the disciples that Lazarus, in fact, has died and that I'm going there to raise him up. Thomas said, yeah, Lazarus has died and we're about to if we go back into Jerusalem. But Jesus courageously walked into the face of adversity for his love for this family and more importantly and more globally for the glory of God. When he arrived, verse 17, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. As I pointed out so eloquently earlier, verse 18 says, that Bethany was near Jerusalem, two miles away. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. This is important. And it, it reveals to us that Mary and Martha and Lazarus were not only friends of Jesus, but were probably high-profile people in the community. Because a lot of the people from Jerusalem came out 
to be with them, to mourn with them, to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And it's the presence of those people that's going to lead to the glory of God through the glorification of Jesus. Now, before we get to the actual event where Lazarus is raised from the dead, we see a couple of interactions that he has, first with Martha and secondly with Mary. And these are familiar, you've probably heard of them, and I just want to touch on them briefly. First, when, first thing is that both Martha and Mary had the exact same thing to say to Jesus at different points in time. Martha ran out first to meet him, and she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And later on in chapter 11, Mary says the exact same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But Jesus' reaction to each of them is quite telling. First, when Martha comes to him, and you know the difference, right? Martha and Mary. Martha was busy. Lord, tell Mary to, to, to get up and, and work because I'm doing all the work here, right? The Mary-Martha thing. Martha's that type. She's a doer, and she comes and she says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus says to her, he says, your brother will rise again. Verse 23, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. That's kind of some cold comfort, right? Your brother will rise again some distant day when all of us are raised and we experience the resurrection of the dead. She said, I know that. I understand that. Jesus said, I in the resurrection and the life. Which brings us back to the sign. The raising of Lazarus demonstrates for us who Jesus is, that he is the light, that he is the life, that he provides these things for us, that it's not merely a restoration of this physical life, but it's something bigger than that. It's something more beautiful than that. That's what we have in Christ, not just life here and now, life eternal, a quality of living. Jesus alludes to that. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then he asks her, do you believe this? Jesus makes a critical distinction here between physical life and spiritual life. We all know that physically at some point we're going to die. And it's not just the restoration of that physical life that has meaning for us. It's not just the accumulation of more years on earth. It's the gift of life with God that Jesus bestows upon us that we begin living right here right now it's that that Jesus is referencing here she said yes Lord I believe verse 27 I believe that you are the Messiah the Son of God the one coming into the world and when she had said this she went back and called her sister Mary so Martha comes and says if you'd been here my brother would not have died and then Martha and Jesus have this theological exchange they talk existentially about ideas about light and about life and about ultimate meaning and then Martha runs back to Mary verse 28 
And she said, the teacher's here and is calling for you. And when Mary heard it, the text says, she got up and ran to the place where Jesus was. And the Jews who had come from Jerusalem, who were mourning and grieving with her, got up and went with him to that, went with uh, Mary to meet Jesus. And it's the exchange that they had there that becomes so important for us. When Mary came where Jesus was, verse 32, and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And we have the shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. The New Revised Standard Version expands it to say Jesus began to weep. What happened here is that Jesus, our human brother, got caught up in the emotion of the moment. He cared for Lazarus. He loved him. This was his brother. And seeing Mary's countenance, seeing her tears, seeing her pain made him feel her pain and experience the pain with her. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? So some of them weren't quite sure what to make of Jesus. If he's so great, if he's so good, why didn't he get here earlier? Why couldn't he have made a difference in this man's life? But some of them saw the genuine interest, the genuine compassion, and the emotion that Jesus experienced in the moment. Verse 38 says, Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Doesn't that picture sound familiar? The tomb was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. And on the other side of that closed tomb was Jesus' friend, Lazarus. And Jesus said to them, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there's a stench because he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Which brings us back to the signpost with which the narrative began. Jesus said it would be through the raising of Lazarus that God would be glorified and that Jesus, God's Son, would experience glory. And Jesus, now on the other side of the tomb, that in just a little while would hold him, Jesus prayed. And that's recorded for us beginning in verse 41. They took away the stone. Jesus looked upward and said, he prayed, God, thank you that you heard me. When he had said this, verse 33, 
he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Can you imagine? A sense of astonishment and disbelief that the people would have experienced at seeing something like this. We were there when he died. We laid him in the tomb. That was four days ago, far beyond the traditional time that it's thought that the spirit departs from the body. Lazarus was dead and gone, and Jesus called him out. This is for the glory of God, precisely because Jesus knew that calling forth Lazarus from the tomb meant that he himself would enter. Look with me at verse 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed. Many of them believed. But, verse 46, some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what he had done. And the Pharisees did what Pharisees do, They called together a council and they deliberated. What are we going to do about this guy? We can't stop him. He's doing these signs. They're unmistakable. They're undeniable. And we have the decision in verse 53. So from that day on, they planned to put him to death. So the sign, the raising of Lazarus, the light and the life of Jesus became the shadow that was cast upon him and his personal passion. That's the glory of God. That's how Jesus is glorified. All throughout John's gospel, Jesus has said the time has not yet come. John chapter 17, Jesus says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. How is Jesus glorified through his death, through his resurrection? Jesus is, was, always has been, always will be the resurrection and the life. That's the kind of power that we need in a time like this. That's the kind of power that we need to experience in our lives. That's the kind of power that we seek. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. I started out with the encouragement, this is a faith check-in. Where are we? What do we believe? Do we believe what we say God is in his holy heaven? God is sovereign. God knows what he's doing. The coronavirus health pandemic is not something that has caught him by surprise. God has always worked for God's glory in and through the person of Jesus Christ in time and history and throughout it. 
through those who trust in him, through those who follow in discipleship to Jesus, to those he believe, who, who believe in him. These are disquieting times. I know it. We're experiencing anxiety. There's so much that we don't know. So much that we'd like to know. We wait. We watch. We trust. My friends, we believe in a God who is good, a God who is love, and a God who is power. And nowhere do we see that love and power combine more than in the person and presence of Jesus Christ, who in time and history raised his friend Lazarus from the dead, signaling his own movement toward the cross. That's who we're following. That's where it's at. That's what it's all about. Friends, I want you to know that you are loved with an everlasting love. God is for you. He is not against you. God is with you in the middle of whatever it is you're experiencing. Let's take time this week. Send me an email from the website. Let me know what's going on, how we can pray for you. Give me something to tell the people. I want you to take some time this week to be good to someone in your life. As I've talked to people on the phone, my encouragement has been stay connected. Make a phone call. Send a text or an email or whatever it is that you do. Get out a piece of stationery and write a letter. Fold it up, put it in an envelope, stamp it, and put it in the mail. Let someone know that you're thinking about, not the same people you always talk to. I'm not talking about your family. You've got enough of your family, right? I'm talking about the people in your, someone, someone in your life on the periphery. Just let them know. Reach out. Let them know you're thinking about them. Take a moment to do that. Friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Jesus, tonight I give it all.